Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this morning, and we thank you for this time when we can read your word and meditate and learn from it. So please give us understanding and through Holy Spirit, open our hearts to see your will and follow it. Amen. Good morning, church. I'm so thankful for an opportunity to preach the word of God and with you and meditate and learn together. And English is my third language, so it's not easy for me to speak, so I will try to do it, but it's gonna be a little bit slower than usually people talk. So as you know, this summer we are going through First Thessalonians, and brother that we have stood here before me have done an excellent job bringing to us the intent of message that Paul has to his readers in this letter. We learned that this message was the big blessing for the Thessalonians, for their instruction, encouragement, and resolution of several scandalous questions. And I also want to show you that this message is big encouragement for us. This epistle has many practical lessons that reveal to us the gospel lived out in ordinary lives of people and its power and its hope. This is the very powerful epistle to us too. Therefore today, my proposition is as follows. Knowing how to live in preparation for Lord's return is more important than knowing the timing of his return. I just want to repeat, knowing how to live in preparation for God's return is more important than knowing the timing of his return. From the first, very first chapter of his letter, Apostle Paul begins with the gospel that works in the lives of Thessalonians and other believers. In the first chapter, Paul spent a lot of time emphasizing on the fact that Thessalonians are on the right path and to encourage them to continue in the same manner. The gospel that Paul preached sounded like this. From 1 Thessalonians, he showed that verse 4, God has chosen you. In verse 6, we see you became imitators of us and of the Lord. In verse 8, it shows us your faith in God has gone <clears throat> forth everywhere. They start preaching around the area. They st start preaching and convert people around them into the Christianity to follow Christ. And verse 9, you tune to God from idols to serve the true and living God. And verse 10, we see to wait for his son from the heaven. 
Excuse me. I'm shaking a little bit. <laughs> and this is wonderful. Paul, from the very first chapter, reminds Thessalonians of the gospel. The gospel is what caused us to become believers, what unites us. We are gospel believers. People in whose lives the gospel is working. Therefore, this letter it is also written to us, and we also may learn and see ourselves in the pages of this letter. The last chapters in this letter, Paul dedicates some time to unpack what it means to wait for the Son of God from heaven for us believers. The conclusion of gospel is that we will meet our Savior. And we see that Thessalonians know and understood that the Lord will return from heaven and take them to meet him. Anticipation of Lord's return is part of our hope and our future. This is also part of our, our preaching. The gospel without second coming of the Lord does not have hope. Therefore, for believers, it is very important to know and understand that the Lord is coming. And we see that uh, Paul give us beginning of the of this like passage, chapter five, and I want to like put your attention on the first topic. Are, we are fully aware the Lord is coming. As we know, the Bible written for the believers who believe in Christ, because who not believe in Christ, they don't understand Bible. They don't understand meaning what's in there. It is written for us. It is very important for us to know in our time that the Lord is coming. Yes, He is coming. And yes, He is coming for us. He is our Lord and Savior, and He is coming for us. We place much hope in knowing days that He is coming for us. We anticipate the Lord will come and bring His kingdom where he will reign, and this will be a great joy for us. But we also know that this will be a time, a great wrath for unbelievers. The day of the Lord is not only a New Testament phenomenon, it was proclaimed by prophets, and it was preached before from the prophets to the new believers. And we see in Joel's second chapter, there is mention the blow of trumpet of in Zion, sound and alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. And he continued in a and finishing chapter 2 and saying, The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem 
where shall be those who escaped, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. And the Old Testament also proclaimed the Lord's return to be as the anger of the Lord. And Lamentation 2.22, you summoned as if to festival day my, terror, my terrors on every side, and on the day of the anger of the Lord, no one escaped or survived. We also know the Ezekiel mentioned as wrath of the Lord on 7.19. They cast their silver into the street, and their gold is like an unclean thing. Their silver and gold are not able to deliver them in that day of wrath of the Lord. They cannot satisfy their hunger or fill their stomach with it, for it was the stumbling block in their iniquity. And is there the in English? It's Zephaniah 1, 14, 19, 18. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hustling fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter, and mighty man cries aloud here, there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against for the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. And again and again, so we see it's it saying in verse 18, neither the silver or their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of wrath of the Lord. So we see how it prophets rep represent before day of the Lord. So it's meaning know, know your money, know your power, know your strength can deliver you from this day. And New Testament also proclaimed the Lord's return we see Second Peter 2.9, it calls it day of judgment. Then the Lord knows how to secure the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteousness under punishment until the day of judgment. And he continued in chapter 3.10, uh, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you, be, you to be in lives on holiness and godliness? And on and on. So we see here the question was discussed later in a, in a passage, First Thessalonians, is times and seasons. Paul saying, no 
concerning the times and seasons, brothers. This, the times and seasons of his coming, Paul has chosen to once again remind Thessalonians that there is no need to write anything regarding this, because no one knows, nor can know. Therefore, there is no need to discuss it. What does time and season mean? The word used in Greek are chronos and kairos. It means period of time, chronos and kairos, point of time. No one knows when. No one knows what time, and no one knows which era. We should also notice that there is a warning here attempting to count or identify time, day or year of Lord's coming. So many have failed to pinpoint or guess the time of the Lord's return. Someone may remember the popular Maya ap apocalypse. It's December 21, 2012, not too long ago. They proclaimed the end of the world prediction Scenario in, in included Earth colliding with the imaginary planet called Niburu. So people buy emergency supplies from stores, set in their homes, waiting for someone to, something to happen. And we, we, we all know Harold Camping was publicly predicted the end of the world as many as 12 times. The last one was supposed to be on May 21, 2011, but then he recalculated, and the new date was October 21, 2011. By the way, we heard a lot of different prophecies like, and the weird ones was before the prophet of hand of Leeds. It was long time ago, back in 1806, a domesticated hen in Leeds, England, appeared to lay eggs inscribed with the message Christ is coming. Great number of people began to despair of the coming of the judgment day. It was soon discovered that the eggs were not in fact prophetic message, but the creativity of the work of the owners. There are many more examples in the history of the mankind. This is why Paul is reminding us to protect us from false teaching because the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And he's saying you are fully aware that he come like a thief. How do the thieves work? Here is one example. Vincenzo Pipino, the Italian thief born in Venice. Pipino is the only person who successfully steal from the Doge's palace in Venice. His method of doing so was surprisingly easy and involved little more than patience. On October 9, 1991, Pipino entered the palace with a group of tourists. He lagged behind the group, and while they were busy admiring art, he slipped into the cell which connected the palace with the prison to wait for the night. Science Pipino knew the exact time when girls would make their round. He waited for them to pass and then slipped back into palace where he simply took the painting Madonna Co Bambina off of the wall 
he then left the palace through the side door. So what trouble we have with thieves and burglars? They do not tell us when they're coming. They do not give us any warnings. There are no signs of, of them. There is no advance announcement or RSVP. This is what exactly Jesus said to the, their disciples. If we look at Matthew 24, 42, 44, that Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, there is the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Thessalonians knew this as well because Paul already told them so. In this passage, Paul tells us that the day of the Lord is coming and it will be. Totally unexpected and totally unpredictable. Let's, let's follow second topic, what Paul trying to give us here is false peace and security. The most popular manipulation of all time it to say everything what we do is in the name of peace and common good. Propaganda of the Rome was that day they kneel down to Rome and you will be protected and under security. May, may people at that time place their hope in Rome as the great and powerful nation. Rome was praised and held, held high among many. But we believers do not look to men for peace and security, but from the Lord. Isaiah 31.13 prophesied when people looking for help from Egypt, who, uh, who, who, who to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. Jeremiah prophesies, chapter 17, 5, 8. Thus say the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and make flesh his trait, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in a desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched place of the wilderness and in inhibited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water, then seed out its roots to be stream, and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, 
and is not anxious of the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Looking at these passages, we see how foolish it is to put our trust in man. In our daily context, people that have power and money might say that they feel peaceful and secure. But the truth is, no money, as we read before from previous, no greatness or influence of the nation can protect you from the Lord's judgment. Paul used two illustrations to make his point. Thief and labor pains. Both of these illustrations teach us that Christ's coming will be sudden. Sudden but unexpected burglars or thieves breaks in. And once labor pain, pain have begun, sudden but expected. Paul used these two metaphors to give us clear understanding of the Lord's day. There is no warning and there is no escape. So be ready at very every time. Lord is coming. But now, good news. You are all children of light. Paul continues his letter and expounds to us more on the Lord's return. As we already know that the day of the Lord is coming and no one can escape it. But it is important for us to know how to prepare for this day and how to live in light of his coming. First, we need to know and be reminded, you are not in darkness, brothers. Darkness not only means literally like a dark room or darkness at night, but this darkness that Paul is highlighting here has a much deeper meaning. Because the Bible frequently used the metaphor darkness in reference to wrongdoing, rebellion toward God, spiritual death, a lack of relationship with God, absence of holiness. We can find in John 3.19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. Romans 1.21, for although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish heart were darkened. Ephesians 4.18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice very kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. People that live in the darkness don't have any understanding of godliness 
nor the true state of their souls. Excuse me. They don't understand the true meaning of their existence. They don't know what awaits them ahead. Paul uses the terms of darkness at night to help us understand that without light in the life, we have to feel our way through to discern where to go, like someone without sign might too. If one remains in the darkness for a long time, a person might think that they, they have figured out their surrounding and know where everything is, but they still remain in darkness. And if the light were to be turned on, items that were deemed to be one thing in darkness might turn out to be completely different in the light. And the direction in which person might have been going in darkness might not be the direction a person will want to take in the light. Paul used four characteristics to describe unbelievers to show us our ungodliness and who we were before the Lord called us. We were in darkness, and in night we were asleep and drunk. Life without light in total darkness, in total carelessness, filled with self-pleasure. Our life without Christ was dark. We did deeds that would be shameful to reveal in the light. We didn't want a single ray of light to shine into our life. No purpose and no meaning. Some people were convincing themselves that they were the descendants of apes. Some people in search of an escape turned to drugs and drunkenness. Only Jesus himself can remove a person from spiritual darkness into light. And we see this, the Ed read this morning. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follow me will not walk in darkness, but will have a light of life. John 12, 46. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may, may not remain in darkness. We see a lot of hope here in Jesus' name, in Jesus' coming. In contrast of those who will be overtaken by the day of the Lord, Thessalonians believe are sons of the light. They are children of light, children of day. There is no exception. All of us believers are children of light. These words cause us to look to him for what he has done with praise and thanksgiving. He has chosen us, changed our hearts and minds so we could see his glory and grace and understand his will for our lives through his word. He is our light. Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, refer to us believers as sons of obedience. 
Ephesians 5.8 refers to us as sons of light. The Paul used the same words as he used to Thessalonians to show them that Jesus lightened their life and they can see. Sons of and children of is a reference of belonging because our God is light according to the first John 1 5 and Jesus is light as we read before and also it's clearly see in John first chapter 7 9 we can open John 1 7 9 One second. And according to this passage, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light, and all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. We have the privilege of being called sons of light. The contrast to darkness Paul used for four examples. Light, as we just discussed, calling us as sons of light. Day, we are also called children of the day. This highlights the fact that we are able to see as a daytime, when you can clearly see things around you versus at night. And awake from Greek means watchful and be alert. And in a contrast to drunk, drunkenness, he used the sober in Greek means vigilant. Looking at these four characteristics that Paul used in the context of the day of the Lord, we can confidently say that we won't know when, we don't know when, we don't know when, but you do know what. And what you know, it's quite enough. Believers, according to the Bible, already have relationship with God. We already have some experience to knowing God. We already experience certain blessing of God's kingdom in our lives, such as worship and fellowship with other believers and unity of the body, church body, as friends and our brothers and sisters from other churches or other countries came to us and we worship God together. That's a privilege to experience kingdom of God here on earth. And we're also already experiencing the process of sanctification. We don't have this feeling, we don't have this position before. We just got this with Christ because we clearly see our state for our souls. We know we are sinners and we know we need Him to be clear, holy, and follow him to the heaven. Therefore, as members of the body of Christ, 
and those that have a relationship with God, let us be vigilant, self-controlled, growing in holiness, fully alarmed, armed with faith, hope, and love as we wait for our final salvation of the day of the Lord. And if he finished with the word of the gospel and how it all started, his, his plan was, we are destined, destined to obtain salvation. For, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who dies for us. God's destiny. Before digging into these verses, I will share an example what will help us better understand the conclusion of these verses. Excuse me. So this story from our life. When Yulia's parents come to visit us, they, they like to come at the crack of dawn. We know that they will come early in the morning. We know that before they run their rounds, they stop by early in the morning to drop off mom's famous homemade dumplings. Therefore, we know that they will be coming early, but we don't know exactly when. The truth is, both of us are waiting for our parents. We are always happy to see them, hug them, drink tea with them. The morning comes, 5 a.m. Yulia clears the house, gets dressed, cleans the kitchen, sets the tea, and waits for the parents in the living room. I also know the parents are coming in the morning, but the bedroom blinds are closed, with morning comes strong sleep, and I wake up only when I hear Yulia call me because parents have come. <laughs> so it's clearly show the idea what's going on here. Let's take a closer look at 1 Thessalonians 5.9. For God has not destined us for wrath. Let's talk a little bit about wrath. The topic of wrath is not a pleasant one for most listeners. It begs the question, does God really want to destroy everyone? Or what is the point of wrath? Regardless of whether you are a believer or not, the wrath of God will be poured out and believers in Thessalonica were sure of it. A German theologian, Henrik Vogel, said, whoever thinks he can smiles, smile at God's wrath will never praise him eternally for his grace. Let's take a closer look at the wrath of God. As we have access for the full Bible with all books in there, let's read Revelation 16.
Is my English good enough to read the whole chapter? <laughs> okay, I will try. I'm a little bit thirsty. <laughs> okay, Revelation 16. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of wrath of God. So the first angel went and put out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel put out his bowl into the sea, and it became like a blood of corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel put out his bowl into the river, and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are you a holy one, you is and who was, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel put out his bow on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had power over these plages. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel put out his bow on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sorrows. They didn't repent of their deeds. The sixth angel put out his bow on the great river Ephrath, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mounts of the dragon, and out of the mounts of the beast, and out of the mount of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like fog, frogs, for they are demonic spirit, performing signs, who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle of the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief, blessed in the one who stay awake, keeping his garments on, and he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Amagdon. The seventh angel put out his bow into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumbling, peals of thunder, and the great earthquake such there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was the earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. 
and every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found, and great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plug on the hail, because the plug was so severe. Death of wrath of the Lord. And we see how God has planned out our salvation. The gospel is good news that God has saved us from the wrath to come. We see this in First Thessalonians when Paul started this letter, he put word who deliver us delivered us from the wrath to come. If he continue in chapter two in First Thessalonians two six first Thessalonians two sixteen, but the wrath has come upon them at last. And first Thessalonians five nine, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's talk about salvation. Good news. <laughs> Important words that come after the word salvation are the words through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. This is the gospel. What Jesus has already accomplished for us on the cross has become our present and our future. Because of his sacrificial love, we have received life and light and blessings. We are saved because Christ is our substitute. The gospel is not changed. It is the same. This is what the apostles preach. This is what Thessalonians preach. This is what we preach. The gospel of Jesus Christ who dies for us. It is the same gospel that we want those around us to hear. It is the gospel of Christ who dies for us, for our sins, so that we don't have to experience the wrath of God. All our sins were borne by Christ and nailed to the cross, so that we might have a relationship with God. Jesus paid it all. If you believe and accept this truth, and Holy Spirit abides in you, then God has chosen you to receive salvation. He has called you into his kingdom, and God will never pour his wrath upon you. As an outcome of Christ's work in us, regardless of whether we are in the body or some already have been called to the Lord, we belong to the Lord, and we will always be with Him. May these words encourage us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And I want to leave some concluding thoughts in light of what we have been studying. How should we live with him now?
First, you need to ask yourself, am I a believer? Am I a believer? Check your life right now. It is being influenced by the gospel. You're amazed by your God. You're amazed by your salvation. You're amazed by the fact that you are not destined for the wrath. Are you being enlightened in the Holy Spirit through the God's word? Are you growing in humility? Have you repented of your sins? If the answer were no, you need gospel now. Right now. If yes, number two, we belong to the day. If yes, if you are a believer, you belong to the day. Our everyday life is battlefield. And God has equipped us for this battle. We have faith. We have his love. And we have hope of salvation. Don't forget that you belong to Christ. Don't forget that you are aiming for Aim to please the Lord and live according to his calling. This is not about what you do. This is about who you already are. You are son of light. You are sons of the day. And the last point I want to leave to you, that we might live with him. God has done everything so that you may be in his kingdom, in his presence, and in his glory. God has taken care of your future. Regardless of whether you will meet the Lord in this life, or he will call you home before his coming, you will be with him in eternity. And let's encourage one another with these words. As we anticipate the, days, the day of the Lord, where we will forever live with him. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this morning and for a reminder for us about your salvation. And thank you for your light in our lives. Thank you for your word in our lives. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that you gave us. And we clearly see you as the God and creator and savior. And thank you that you save us from the wrath to come on this earth because of the sin. You called us, you changed our hearts you show us your way and we ask you just give us give us love more love in our life to the people around us to share the gospel 
that they can be saved by you. Pray more for the, our neighbors and our relatives and people who surround us because they need you. You're the only light. You're the only hope. And we just praise your name. Amen.